Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. And in city after city, because he preached Christ, he said that five times he received the 39 lashes, you know, with that whip that had steel and glass embedded in it, and it just flayed the flesh on the back of a man to down to the nerve. So it's just a bloody mass of nerves and bleeding flesh. A lot of men died from that kind of whipping. Paul says that he was betrayed by people that he loved. Paul says that he was stoned in every city that he went to preach Jesus Christ in. Can you imagine what it's like to be stoned? No, not that kind some of you were. I mean, with rocks. Rocks. Some of you can imagine that, can't you? That's why you need to be here. But anyway... I'm talking rocks here. Imagine rocks hitting you in the face, knocking out teeth, bloodying your eyes, hitting you in the neck and the chest. Rock after rock from a circle of people around you, a crowd rocking you until you fall to the ground. Paul says in one city, he was left for dead from the stoning. And yet he got up. He refused to turn bitter on life. In our scripture reading this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul speaks about what he calls his affliction in Asia. He doesn't tell us exactly what that affliction is. But we can imagine what it was like. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life. He saw no exit. That's what that word in Greek means. No exit. There was no solution to this. He thought this was the end of him. Bum Phillips, the legendary NFL coach, said there's only two kinds of coaches in the NFL. Them that's been fired and them that's going to be fired. (laughs) Crushing things happen to everyone sooner or later. Just what has been crushing in your life? Surely someone here is on the verge of caving in, of being crushed. I don't know what that is for you. But surely in a crowd like this, there are people who are being crushed this very moment. But what in your past also you found, you experienced as just crushing? question is, are you over it? Are you healed? A few years ago, a crushed woman came to me for help. It's an old story. Her husband, she had discovered, was in an affair. And when she confronted him, he admitted to her he had had many affairs on her. For years, he'd been having affairs on her. And instead of having sorrow for the pain he'd caused her, he said to her, I've never been happy with you. I want a divorce. I'm going to marry the woman I'm with right now. You talk about taking a woman's heart, throwing it on the floor and stomping on it. 
She had given him the best years of her life. She had done everything she knew how to make him happy and to feel loved. After she finished telling me this story, she said to me, don't tell me to forgive him. I can never forgive what he has done. I will hate him the rest of my life. What would you have said to her? I said to you, to her, I don't blame you. You have every good reason to hate him the rest of your life. But my urging to you is, don't let him cancel the rest of your life. I took a deep breath and I said to her, while you're spending your nights and days hating him, he's out dancing with his new wife. Don't hug your hurts. Make choices that help you not cancel your life. There is life after your husband if you'll make the right choices. I'm sorry to say she didn't make those choices. And still today, she's crushed. You see, when crushing things happen to you, you'll never be healed unless you decide not to let it cancel your life by making the right choices like Paul did. That brings me to one of my favorite verses in all of Paul's writings, and it's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. The answer to how Paul survived these crushing things, he gives to us in Philippians chapter 4. Let me give you a little context before I read this verse to you. Paul is in the dungeon of Nero. He's chained between two Roman legionnaires. He knows, he's already been to trial before Nero, and he knows that in just a matter of weeks or a few months, his head is going to be chopped off by the executioner. He's not getting out of this alive. If you ever go to Rome with me on a trip, we always stop by there on the way back from Israel, I'll take you to the prison cell that strongly tradition says both Paul and Peter were kept into just before their executions. He's waiting for his execution. He's not getting out of this alive. That's the context in which he writes this letter to the Philippians. And 23 times in just four chapters, he uses the word joy. This is his most joyful letter of any letter he wrote. And he's in prison with people bad-mouthing him outside in his ministry. And he's going to die. And he writes this. I have learned such good news. Paul didn't have a gene in him that gave him this kind of strength. It wasn't because he was super spiritual. Paul says, I used to not know this, but I have learned. You can too. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I remember when I first began to look at the Greek of this text years ago, I was just stunned by what the word content means in the original Greek language. 
What it means is this. No one or nothing makes me cancel life. Isn't that great? Nothing, no one makes me cancel life. That's what it means to be content. You don't cancel life no matter what people do or what happens to you. Paul's chained in this dungeon and he's ready to be executed. His life cuts short. And he is not canceling his life. How did he do it? Well, first of all, Paul says, don't give in to your moods. Don't give in to your moods. Choose to be thankful. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's a commandment. It's in the imperative. Do you realize if you're not rejoicing, you're living a disobedient Christian life? Think about that. To not be rejoicing is to be disobedient. It's a commandment. And it's a good commandment. Why? Rejoice always and everything by prayer with thanksgiving present your requests made to God. There, we're not called to be denial in denial of bad things happening to us. We don't stick our hand, head into the sand and ignore. No, we make our petitions to God about the crushing things that are happening to our life. But we also include thanksgiving. That's what's missing from so many prayers. Including thanksgiving for all the things that have been good in my life that God has blessed me over the years with. This is such good news. You see, this commandment to rejoice and to give thanksgiving in our prayers means we don't have to be victims of our moods. Where did we get this idea ever that I can't help my feelings? That is not scriptural. I challenge my moods instead of staying stuck in them. I was with a businessman not long ago who has a lot of good excuses for being discouraged about his business and depressed. I mean, the last two years have been absolutely murder in his niche of business in our country. And I looked at him and I said, aren't you discouraged? And he said, no. I said, why not? This is what he said. Because I choose not to be. I choose not to be. Paul says, when you pray, don't just pray poor me prayers. Include thanksgiving with your petitions, your requests to God. Lance Armstrong is this world famous athlete. One of the best in cycling, probably know all about him. All his string of victories in the Tour de France and other races. Did you know he credits his tremendous success to cancer? <laughs> to cancer? I'm not kidding. In 1997, he was diagnosed with cancer in the abdomen, lungs, lymph nodes, and brain. He was given only a 40% chance of survival. But he 
drastically changed his eating habits. He took chemotherapy and he had surgery and he rebounded and went on to win the Tour de France and again and again and other cycling events. And on his website, this is what Armstrong writes. Let me quote it to you. Cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. The best thing that has ever happened to me. Cancer is my secret power because none of my competition has been that close to death. And when you come that close to death, it gives you perspective. You become thankful not only for every day of life, but for the little things in life you used to take for granted. Get this, this is the last line. I take nothing for granted. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. I take nothing for granted. I only have good days or great days. I love that. Is that you? What kind of days do you have? Do you only have good days or great days? Or do you let your moods take over? Thankfulness is telling your moods where to get off so that you can have good days or great days. I read a terrific book long ago called Survivor's Club by Ben Sherwood. You see it on your screen. And it's just the story after story of how people survived crushing things in their life and what those things were and unbelievable stories about how people survived what you'd think no one could. And in it, he asked this question. Suppose you were cashing your paycheck one day at the bank and in came a bank robber and he shot you in the arm. He asked this, is it a good day or a bad day? What would you say? The answer is, it's a good day. You know why it's a good day? He could have shot you in the heart and you'd be dead. It's a good day. Only got shot in the arm. Isn't that true? It's just perspective. It's a good day. Not a great day. I got shot in the arm in a bank robbery. Not a great day. But a good day. Even when crushing things happen, don't let anyone or anything cancel your life. At least have a good day, if not a great day. That's what Thanksgiving does. The habit in your prayers of thanking God for all the good things that have happened in your life. That's how you have good days and great days. Now I got to pause. And I got to say a few words about why it is so many people are not thankful. Why they don't have the habit of thanksgiving. They have the habit of complaining in their life. Do you know why? Because they have this awful, terrible, big habit of comparing their lives to other lives. The habit of comparison. It's so 
prevalent in America. You listen to conversations if you were a fly on the wall in homes around this city or at lunches. People are always comparing themselves to other people. And it's a loser's game. Happy people are willing to let others have what they don't have. Let me say, happy people are willing to let others have what they don't have. They don't compare. That's the best definition of thankfulness I know. Being thankful is being willing to let others have what you do not have because of the good things you have. By the way, this is the reason why Kobe Bryant is not a happy camper. True. Kobe Bryant is probably the best player in the NBA right now. But he's not happy. Because he wants to be known as the best player ever to play the game. And Michael Jordan has that spot in most people's mind. Comparison. It just ruins your blessings. It's a loser's game because it develops a scarcity mentality. Do you know what I mean by scarcity mentality? Oh, I don't have enough. Oh, I wish I had this. When you don't have the habit of thankfulness every day in your prayers, you will have a scarcity mentality. But if you have the habit of being thankful every day in your prayers and naming your blessings that you've had over the years, starting with you were born, you developed an abundance mentality. An abundance mentality. And that's one of the keys. An abundance mentality is one of the keys to overcoming crushing things in your life. You know, when I go on mission trips, and I go like I did a couple of months ago to Africa, and I see little children, three and four years old, picking up dirt to eat it because they don't get enough meat in their life and minerals. They eat the dirt for minerals. And I see how people get one meal a day, and it's no, hardly any meat or no meat, and it's just kind of a, a root they eat over there. And I see the kinds of living conditions they are in, and parents dying of AIDS and all of this. And yet you know that some of the happiest people I've ever met are people in those huts. Joyful. You know, the happiest people I've met in the world, I've met in third world countries. And I come back to America and I say, what's wrong with us? What is wrong with us? We have a scarcity mentality where those poor people over there in those kind of conditions have an abundance mentality. It's true. Make your choice. Just make your choice. Tell your moods where to get off. And secondly, when life is crushing, choose to dwell on what is good, not what has gone bad. This chapter has been my life chapter for years. Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read you, it's on your screens right now, the verse that has meant so much to me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever, whatever, look for it. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
If anything is excellent, anything, anything praiseworthy, think about such things and the peace of God will be with you. Now get this. This word, Greek, is so specific. It has several words for the word think. The word that is used here is a lot more than the mental process of a thought. The fundamental meaning, the punch of this word is dwell. Focus your mind. Focus your mind on whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy, anything of excellence. Dwell on that. Which is the opposite of most people you know. They're focused on what's wrong. It's a commandment. It's in the imperative. The Word of God says dwell on what is good. I heard about a husband who forgot his wedding anniversary and his wife was really ticked. She said to him, tomorrow morning there better be a gift in my driveway that can go from zero to two hundred in less than six seconds. Hint, hint, hint. But he's a guy. Next morning, sure enough, there was a gift in the driveway, gaily wrapped, but it was just a small package. It wasn't big enough to be what really she asked for, but she goes out there and she opens up the package. And when she opens it up, it's a brand new bathroom scale. <laughs> Bob hasn't been heard of since last Friday. <laughs> Go ahead and send your letters, women. I don't care. The point is, there's a serious spiritual point to this, which is, if you focus on what's bad about your wife, it can get you killed. <laughs> but seriously, there's surely a marriage here this morning that's fallen into the habit of dwelling on what's wrong with the other person. You've developed the habit of dwelling on your complaints about the other person. i, I got to tell you, nothing will dig the grave of a marriage quicker than dwelling on the faults of the other person. Nothing. That's true of all relationships, but especially in a marriage, but it also in parenting, the same thing with a child, dwelling upon what their flaws are. I don't know of any thing more helpful than turning your marriage into a great marriage or recovering a marriage that is deteriorating than Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, dwell on those things. That's the best counsel anybody can have in a marriage. One of my favorite verses from Paul is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. We know sorrow, yet our joy is inextinguishable. It's one of my favorite verses. 
Is your joy inextinguishable or is it dependent upon what, how people are behaving or your circumstances? Now, I've got to say this. Whenever you're in crushing times, you don't walk around with just a happy face. Somebody does something really bad, your husband walks out and says, Oh, I'm happy about this. No. There is a grieving period. There is a grief that happens. And there's a process in which first there's hurt. There is grief over what's happened. You don't just say, oh, it's all good. It is not all good. Bad things happen. And you have to go through a grief process, which first is some anger. Then you have to get perspective on this. But soon, you need to come to the place where you recover your joy and not cancel your life. It's a process. But you can't get stuck by dwelling upon poor me and the things that have happened to me. So I ask you again, is your joy inextinguishable? It can be. Paul is an example of how it can be in your life. I invite you to that life. Have inextinguishable joy. Have only good days and great days. Jesus put it this way, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What's he saying there? Look at that. You're going to have problems, but be of good cheer. This is what he's saying. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Yes, pain is inevitable. But misery, that's up to what you choose to dwell on. That's up to you. It's optional. When Thomas Edison lost his hearing, he said, now I can finally concentrate on my work without my wife and other people distracting me. <laughs> One of my favorite books is entitled Tuesdays with Maury. It's a story about how, you've probably read this, where this journalism professor uh, has this terrible cancer that's slowly ravaging his body and slowly killing him. And one of his former students by the name of Mitch, now a journalist, regularly visits him on every Tuesday. And um, one of these Tuesdays, when Mitch comes to visit him, Maury says to him, and I quote, Sometimes I give myself a good cry if I need it. But then I concentrate. See? I concentrate on all the good things still in my life, on the people who are coming to see me, on the stories I'm going to hear. I put a daily limit on self-pity. Yes, he allows himself a few minutes of self-pity, but he puts a daily limit on it. It's horrible to watch my body slowly die, but it's also wonderful because of all the time it gives me to say goodbye. Not everyone is so lucky as me. <laughs> Mitch writes, I studied Maury in his bed. He was unable to stand or wash himself or pull his own pants on. He was dying. Lucky? Did he say lucky? You bet. Not everyone is given time to say goodbye to so many friends and feel their love before they die. 
You got to tell your moods where to get off. When life is crushing, listen to me. Don't make it worse by dwelling on what's gone wrong. Take one day at a time and every morning decide just for today I will not compare myself to others. Just for today I will dwell on what is good instead of what is bad. Just for today I will not complain. Just for today I will be thankful. Just for today, I will challenge my moods. Just for today, I will believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, it's so encouraging to us that Paul learned how to do this. And I pray that today we take these learnings, apply them to our life, and begin to do them. Begin to do them. And whoever here today has been having bad days, I pray for them that from this time forth they will only have good and great days. Amen. Well, that was another practical message from Dr. Mike. If you live in our area, why not come to in-person worship at one of our three locations Sunday? Hearing Dr. Mike live is so much more powerful, so we hope you can come. <laughs>